Trinity Church, how we're doing? It is great to be together again as we worship. Man, those worship songs were just awesome. And I think you'll see how well these songs just go with our message. I truly hope that this was just a preparation of your heart to, to continue to worship as we receive God's word together. Um, I am not Todd. My name is Hilke. I am the family pastor. Todd is preaching at another church uh, at, at HDC, and he'll be back with us next week. Before we dive into our message, I wanted to just mention that we have launched our church app. What you're going to do uh, to download it, you're going to go to the App Store or the Google Play Store. I don't know where the non-iPhone people go. <laughs> you guys are weird. Um, just kidding. Um, you're going you're to type in Trinity Church Redlands to search the app, download it, and um, that way you can actually take notes on your phone. They're like fillable, like you can, you know, type into your phone the notes. You can save them. Um, there's easy ways to connect with our church as far as like different events. You can give through our app. You can uh, just find out information. So it's a really great portal to, to get connected, to stay connected uh, to our church family. So definitely download that app and it will serve you well, I'm sure. Well, most of us probably uh, know the game show, The Price is Right. No, we're not going to have anyone come down and, and you're the next contestant on The Price is Right. But if, you're, if you know the, the game show, it, it basically revolves around guessing the, the, uh, the price on, on various items. And, and people can win cars and jet skis and vacations. And then, like, occasionally you have the guy that, like, here's your prize. It's like a clock. You're like, huh. I, I, I wanted the other guy's car, but um, it, 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 it involves these different games where, where, where people guess like the retail price or they have to guess if the retail price is higher or lower and, and basically um, try, and, try and win the, these cool prices. And, um, but really, when, when you think of, yeah, it's pretty easy to, to, well, easy relatively speaking, to guess the price tag of, of, of a brand new car, or the price tag of, of a brand new iPad, or the price tag of, you fill in the blank. But what is the price tag of sin? What is the price tag of sin? This morning, today, we will witness the unbelievable cost of sin. The unbelievable price tag, the, the steep price of sin. As we see that sin led to defeat. It led to discouragement. Sin led to lives being lost, death. Sin led to incredible fear. But praise God, the story does not end there. In fact, the, the whole of the story is encapsulated in our now what? And um, I want you to, to just take a look on the screen and you'll see it there. It says, by the grace of God, we can move forward after failure. Praise God. By the grace of God, we can move forward after failure through repentance marked by renewed devotion and wholehearted obedience. And we're going we're gonna to explore that. We're going to dive into that. We're going to unpack that as we look at Joshua 7 and 8. 
this morning. And Joshua 7 and 8, it, it is a, it's an incredible story that we'll just kind of read through. It, it's a long story. We won't read all the verses, but we're just going to kind of dip our toes in various strategic places. And then on your notes, it's going to kind of follow the outline of the story, and you can kind of jot things down that, that make sense to you, that connect with you as you follow along. And we're gonna, actually going to start reading chapter 7, but we're going to start reading at verse 2, because verse 1 is like this huge spoiler alert. So I'm I'm going to skip verse 1, and we're just going to enter the story, verse 2, and kind of get captured by it in a new and fresh way, and not have verse 1 kind of spoil it for us. We're not into that. So um, follow along if you'd like. In verse 2, we read, now Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near Beth-Avon, to the east of Bethel, and told them, go up and spy out the region. So the men went up and spied, spied out Ai. When they returned to Joshua, they said, not all the army will have to go up against Ai. Send two or 3,000 men to take it, and do not weary the whole army, for, for only a few people live there. So about 3,000 went up, but they were rooted by the men of Ai, who killed about 36 of them. They chased the Israelites from the city gate as far as the stone quarries and struck them down on the slopes. At this, the hearts of the people melted in fear and became like water. Let's pause right there. Well, here's what's going on in the story. And we actually sang about this uh, just the, the last song. This story, we encounter this right after the, the, the victory at, at Jericho. The walls came tumbling down. God uh, miraculously delivered uh, the Israelites and, and um, allowed them to conquer the city of Jericho in an amazing way. And so there was huge victory and celebration and triumph as they began their conquest into the promised land, the, the land that had been promised to Abraham hundreds of years ago. But now, we move from victory to failure. Ai wasn't a particularly strong town. So it was determined, why don't we just send just a couple of our guys, well, a couple thousand, but not the whole army, certainly we won't need that. And it was an entirely human strategy. There's no mention of Yahweh. There's no mention of them seeking God's wisdom and direction. No, they just determined, not a big deal, we'll send a few of us and we'll, we'll take care of business. And the result, 36 men died. And at this, verse 5, at this, the hearts of the people melted in fear and became like water. That's a really interesting statement. That same language was used of the people in Jericho when they knew the people of Israel were coming around, that, that the God of Israel would, would deliver Jericho into their hands. It says that, that, that their hearts became like water. They melted in fear. And now one chapter later, the same language is describing the Israelites the Israelites at this point are no better off than the Canaanites, and we will soon discover why. Israel is humbled as we read on, verse six. Then Joshua 
tore his clothes and fell face down to the ground before the ark of the Lord. Now we have the introduction of Yahweh finally introduced into, into our narrative, remaining there till evening. And the elders of Israel did the same and sprinkled dust on their heads. Joshua comes before God. It's like, and he just, he just loses as he humbles himself before he falls face down before God and mourns the, the incredible loss and defeat and then in the next couple of verses, we'll see that uh, Joshua begins to question God. Why, God? Why would you lead us out here into, into the promised land and have us be defeated? And he begins to question God's guidance, God's goodness, God's sovereignty. He begins to, 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 uh, to doubt and question God's promises and fear takes root. Fear takes root. And then in verse 10, God responds. So Joshua's mourning. He's face down with the leadership of Israel. And in verse 10, the Lord said to Joshua, stand up. What are you doing down on your face? Israel has sinned. They have violated my covenant, which I commanded them to keep. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen. They have lied. They have put them with their own possessions. That is why the Israelites cannot stand against their enemies. They turn their, uh, they turn their backs and run because they have been made liable to destruction. I will not be with you anymore unless you destroy whatever among you is devoted to destruction. Well, here's the deal. God says, Joshua, I didn't break the covenant. My promises still stand. But your people, they have sinned. They have sinned against me. They have violated the instructions. They have taken some of the devoted things, the things that have, were, were set apart for me. Jericho uh, has been set apart for me to display my greatness and my renown. It had to be devoted to complete destruction. And they have taken some of the things that were mine, Literally, they have stolen from God, from Yahweh. This is unthinkable. And he says, this is why I will not be with you as long as this is the case. You are literally the same as the Canaanites right now. You stand under judgment on account of your sin. Unless the sin is dealt with, you cannot stand before a holy God. The whole story, the whole narrative, chapter 7, chapter 8, and, and throughout the Bible, throughout, throughout the Old Testament, New Testament, we see so much language of, of covenant and of God's holiness. God is, is holy, absolutely perfect in all of his ways, in all of his attributes. He is spotless, sinless, and he cannot stand or be around a sinful people. But yet it also speaks of a covenant, which is the language of, of a God who wants to have a relationship with his people, a sinful people. 
How's that going to work? And he's, 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 he's given them provisions through, through the sacrificial system in the Old Testament. That was the Old Covenant. And now through Jesus, that is the New Covenant. Until sin is removed and dealt with, he cannot be with them. He cannot violate his perfect character and holiness. It's not an option. So then God gives further instructions to Joshua. And he says, you know, consecrate the people. Again, um, set them apart because you're coming before a holy God. So make sure your people are, 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 have the right heart, that they're, they're um, coming before me in a reverent way. And then present each tribe to me and I will select one tribe. Then out of the tribes, present uh, each clan to me and I will select a clan. Then out of the clans, um, present each family to me and I will select a family. And we're not told the details of how this happened. Then each tribe, each clan, and each family was presented. And then in verse 15, we encounter this. Whoever is caught with the devoted things, my things, the things that have been set apart for Yahweh, shall be destroyed by fire. Along with all that belongs to him, he has violated the covenant of the Lord, the covenant of Yahweh and has done an outrageous thing in Israel. This is like mind blow, like how could you do this against a holy God? It is absolutely unthinkable. And so, Achan and his family are identified in verse 20. And Achan replied as the text continues, it is true, I have sinned against Yahweh, the God of Israel. This is what I have done. When I saw in the, in the plunder of Jericho a beautiful robe from Babylonia, 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, I, have, I coveted them and I took them. They are hidden in the ground inside my tent with the silver underneath. And sure enough, the devoted things the set-apart things that were set apart for a holy God, they were found in his tent. Here's what happened. The lust of the eyes lured Achan to want this beautiful piece, this beautiful garment. The shiny silver and the sparkle of the gold caught his eye. It caught his imagination, and he was lured in, and he took and he violated the covenant. He sinned. It's the same language we see throughout the Bible. It's very consistent. Genesis chapter three, Eve saw that, that, that the fruit was pleasing to the eye. She was drawn to, to, by the, the lust of the eyes, the desire of her heart. James chapter one, but that we were, when we are tempted, we were drawn away by our own desires. 1 John 2, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and it, it draws us away. You know where else we see that same language? In our own hearts. I see it in my own heart. I see the lust of the eyes, the desires of my heart, my affections being drawn away from a holy God towards you fill in the blank. If, if we take time to slow down and to be honest with ourselves, we see this language 
of, of, ourself, of, of our desires, the desires of our eyes, of our heart, luring us away towards idols we put in place of God. Idols that are maybe not bad things, but we turn good things into ultimate things. And there's only one ultimate one. Ultimate things can never and shall never compete with a holy God. But I often get the two confused. So then we find in verse 24 that Achan is condemned. Because God said this sin has to be dealt with. So we read these words. Then Joshua, together with all Israel, took Achan, son of Zerah, the silver, the robe, the gold bar, his sons and daughters, his cattle, donkeys and sheep, his tent, and all that he had to the valley of Achor, which is the valley of trouble. Um, Joshua said, why have you brought this trouble on us? The Lord will bring trouble on you today. Then all Israel stoned him, and after they had stoned the rest, they burned them. Over Achan, they heaped up a large pile of rocks, which remains to this day. Then the Lord turned from his fierce anger, and therefore that place has been called the Valley of Achor ever since. Going back to where we started today. This is, this is a hugely sad story. What is the price tag of sin? In your notes, man, sin is never secret, is it? Achan thought he was fine. Hide it in my tent. The gold bar wasn't that big, easy to hide, and not, not, not a big deal. But he couldn't hide it. He couldn't hide from a holy God, an all-knowing, perfect, and righteous God. Sin is never secret. Oh, I've, I've, I've tried so hard. I've tried so hard to, to hide sin. But God, through his Holy Spirit, praise God, convicts. Sin has far-reaching consequences. Far-reaching consequences in your notes. I don't think Achan knew the consequences that he was signing himself up for. Sin has to be confronted and confessed. And then lastly, sin must be punished by death. I mean, these are just principles of sin. These are, these are just biblical principles of sin that, that are not just um, unique to, to Achan's story, but, but these are just, just, these are just facts. Sin is never secret. It's got far-reaching consequences. It's not just you, like, oh, they'll be okay. They'll never know. It just only affects me. No, that's garbage. That is a lie. Sin has far, far-reaching consequences. It has to be confronted and confessed. But there's also this punishment of death. And the price tag is so high because God is so incredibly holy. And here's where the gospel comes in. Here's where Jesus comes in. According to, to God and to this account, the whole nation was liable to destruction, which, which really, in our individual mindset, that, that doesn't register with us, but it's absolutely how, um, how the economy functioned in Israel, the, the economy before God, how it was a communal society. The whole nation deserved God's punishment. 
But in his grace, he said, no, I have a path. Remove, remove Achan and his family. Remove the sin, and, and I will restore the covenant with you. I will be with you once more. And the gospel says this. <laughs> you are guilty of sin. It says, Hilke, you are guilty of sin. You have violated my covenant. You have stolen from me. Your, 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 your affections, your heart has drifted from, from uh, you have replaced the ultimate thing with good things, and, and, and that's, that's not right. You have violated my holiness, and you stand condemned before me in your sin. And that sin deserves to be punished by death. That is abundantly clear from the very first pages of Scripture, Genesis chapter 3 on. But then God the Father, in His love, sent His Son to die, to take that punishment of death for me, for you. He was a substitute sacrifice so that the wrath of God would be poured out on Jesus so that I might live. We sang a song before the throne of God above. Listen to that again this week. Go on Spotify, go on Amazon Music, listen to that song again, because that song is the gospel. We can't discount sin, we can't cheapen God's grace, and I feel like that song just captures the weight of sin, the holiness of God, and the grace of God, and it's lavish gift that it is to us. So then, We encounter chapter eight, the narrative continues, from failure to victory, because their failure is not final. And praise God for that. You know, by the grace of God, we, we can move forward from failure through repentance, marked by renewed devotion and wholehearted obedience. And we're gonna see that illustrated here today. In verse uh, one of chapter eight, then the Lord said to Joshua, do not be afraid, Joshua. Do not be discouraged, Joshua. Take the whole army with you and go up and attack Ai. For I have delivered into your hands the king of Ai, his people, his city, and his land. You shall not do to Ai and its kings as you did to Jericho and its king, except that you may carry off their plunder and livestock for yourselves, set an ambush behind the city. So God gives instructions in verses three three to eight, basically. He gives careful instructions, says, Joshua, I know what happened. I know what you must be feeling right now. I have a word for you. And I spoke the same word in chapter two we talked about last year. Uh, Chapter one, do not be afraid. Joshua, yes, this was a colossal failure. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. My grace is sufficient for you. Do not be afraid. Your failure is not final. Joshua, there is a path forward. And here's what I need you to do. So he gives instructions for this battle. And then Joshua begins to put the the battle preparations in place, and I love it. Because if you read the text, we're we're, we're talking word-for-word obedience that that the author of of Scripture here really lays out. The the instructions that God gives, we see word-for-word that these things are, are put into place. 
which is just highlighting just Joshua and the people of Israel. They are committed. We are going to follow God's word. We are going to have just relentless obedience to God's will. Even in chapter 7, with the, the whole thing about presenting the families and the tribes, when, when Joshua be, begins to implement uh, those instructions, it is word for word that the text follows these instructions. Again, just highlighting that they are committed. Man, we need to follow God's word. We, he is requiring wholehearted obedience, and we want to demonstrate that. We want to live in that. And that's exactly what, what, what Joshua is, is living out here. Word for word, wholehearted obedience. And then the battle, verses 18 through 29, it's incredible. We'll just read a couple verses here. Verse 18, then the Lord said to Joshua, hold out toward Ai the javelin that is in your hand, for into your hand I will deliver, um, I will deliver the city. So Joshua held out toward the city the javelin that was in his hand. As soon as he did this, the men in the ambush rose quickly from their position and rushed forward. They entered the city and captured it and quickly set it on fire. Again, word for word obedience. And the result, victory. They moved from failure to victory. So the, thus far, we've encountered a lot, like their, their transformation, their, um, yeah, their transformation has been largely rooted in, in, their, in their wholehearted obedience, but there's more to this story. And I love the way the, the story ends here as Israel is restored. Jump down to verse 30. So the battle's been won. The battle is over. They've, he even said, God said, um, you, you, you can have the, the, the spoils of, of, of war. And, and, and God said, I, I, I took the, the Jericho spoils. Those were devoted to me. It's almost like a first fruits kind of offering. Like, I took Jericho and its things were belonged to me. And now these things, these are for you. I have prepared a land, and this is for you. But then the victory's over, a celebration and we're not sure, uh, we're not told the, the timing on this. But then in verse 30, this happens, and I love it. Then Joshua built on Mount Ebal an altar to the Lord, the God of Israel, as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded the Israelites. Again, obedience, obedience. He built it according to what is written in the book of the law of Moses. Obedience, obedience. An altar of uncooked stones on which no iron tool had been used. On it they offered to the Lord Yahweh burnt offerings and sacrificed fellowship offerings. So their repentance, their turning from sin, their transformation was absolutely rooted in, in, in God's word and, and obedience, but also in this renewed devotion. As they come before God in worship, and, they, um, and, and, the, and the covenant is restored. The relationship is mended. The relationship is made whole. And, 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 so, and their, their, their affections are poured out in worship as they praise God in these fellowship offerings. But then we have one more step to go in our narrative, and that is from Joshua to Jesus. Because the truth that, that we're encountering this morning is for us. 
thousands of years later that our failures aren't final. My failures aren't final. Your failures aren't final. You are not defined by your sin. If you are a follower of Jesus, you are a child of God, you are a saint, you are holy, you are set apart. This is where now what really kind of comes in, but by the grace of God, by God's good grace, we can move forward from failure through repentance marked by our renewed devotion and wholehearted obedience. In your notes, the foundation of repentance is the gospel. There is no repentance, there is no restoration, there is no reconciliation with this holy God outside of the gospel. The truth that Jesus died for your sin, for my sin. He was a substitute sacrifice and God's wrath was poured out on Jesus so that you might live. That is the gospel. If you put your faith in, 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 that, in that message of hope and forgiveness, that is for you. That is the foundation. That is, that is the, um, the anchor of the gospel, of, of repentance. And then B, repentance is marked by both devotion and obedience. And here's why. C, repentance without obedience brings us here. Hypocrisy. Repentance that is just, God, I'm so sorry. Maybe even some tears. But no life change. No commitment to God's word. It's like, you know what? God, I have, I have failed, and I want to I look to your word, and I want to obey, and, and God, I want to turn my affections to you, but also my, my, my life, my actions, my affections, and my actions. If we don't do both, if we just end up with an emotional plea to God of, I'm sorry, we basically just end up here. Hypocrisy. Similarly, repentance without devotion gets us here. Moralism. What do I mean by that? What does that look like? If our repentance is just following the rules, following the laws, following the commands, without a relationship, to this holy God without recognizing, man, yes, God is holy, but, be, but I have been brought near. Like, there's no more separation between this God and I, and, and I love him, and he loves me. I am a child of God. And if there is no hard connection to this repentance, and it's just, just, just actions, it's just following rules, that just is, is moralism. And moralism is a cheap rip-off of God's grace. Hypocrisy is a cheap rip-off of God's grace. This is not the gospel. Moralism is not the gospel. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. I know who I'm talking to. I'm talking to fellow sinners. I'm talking to myself. My sin does not have the final word. There's a path forward after failure through re 
repentance. That is for you. That is for me. Turning back to God, essentially, is really easy, and, and it should be. He's made it incredibly accessible. He says, if you confess your, 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 with your heart your, 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 your sins, he who is faithful and just will forgive your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. God, I confess before you, I am a sinner, I need you. And he responds, you are forgiven. And he says, you know, if, 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 you, if the sun sets you free, you are free indeed, you are forgiven. There's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It, it, it's, it's really, it's simple. But then maybe, maybe some of you have been following Jesus for a while. I've been following Jesus for a while. Why do I still have sin? But maybe there's even sin that is, that is pretty like habitual. It keeps, it keeps kind of rearing its ugly head. What about that? How do we respond to, to this offer of forgiveness and repentance? And, and this is where really the, the, the work of, of, of devotion and continually aligning my heart with the heart of God and relentless obedience to his word, surrounding myself with other believers who can, can, who can uh, hold me accountable and encourage me into good works. Repentance is not a burden. Repentance is a path towards freedom. Not to be a slave to sin, but a slave to righteousness. That is what he is offering to you. If you are not a follower of Jesus, what's stopping you? You stand condemned before a holy God today. But you have an opportunity to be reconciled for your sin to be paid for, to be forgiven through A, admitting that you are a sinner, B, believing that Jesus is the Savior who died for you, C, to choose to follow him. You can do that even today. Let's pray together. Father God, we, we thank you for your love for us. Incredible, generous love Father, we, we, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You didn't send Jesus because we were so lovable. We were enemies of the cross, yet you sent your son to reconcile us, to make it possible for us to have a relationship again. We thank you for your love, your grace. We do not deserve it. So Father, I pray for anyone that does not know you, even today, Lord, would you just work in their heart, in their mind, would you open their, their, their eyes to their need for a savior, and would you give them just an opportunity to, to respond privately, sincerely in, in their own heart, and say, I need you, Jesus. For those that have been following you for a while, but, but just have maybe even a, a burden of, of sin that has just been uh, like a thorn in the flesh. Father, would they look to you and your word and your grace? And Father, I, I pray that um, we would continue to grow closer to you, to grow closer and, and, and deeper in your love into fellowship with you. 
deeper in your word towards greater obedience and freedom. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen.